before we get into the next thing. Hey, we are so glad you're here. You made it, or you've almost made it. In a few more hours, you'll have made it. We are on Christmas Eve, and uh, it's a joy to celebrate together this morning with you. Uh, there will be more folks uh, coming back tonight. Some of you are going to get your card punched twice and come to both services. You're, you're extremely spiritual if you do that. But we're just glad that you're here, whether you're watching online or you're here in the room. My name is Michael Hadi. I'm the lead pastor here at Long Hill Chapel. And we're just so glad that you've joined us. Uh, we've been in a series called Christmas Songs, and obviously there's a lot of songs around the season of Christmas that we all know, familiar ones that we know and that we love. But what we've been talking about is the fact that in the story of Christmas, as it's originally seen in the Bible, there's actually about four songs in that story, some of which became some of the very first Christmas songs and the early hymns of the church. But the story is a fascinating story, and we'll get into that in just a moment. I don't know if you've ever thought about the songs that we sing at Christmas, how ridiculous some of the lyrics are. I was thinking this morning about the song, Go Tell It on a Mountain, which is great because it's the birth of Jesus, and you should tell that everywhere. But how many of you have gone up on top of a mountain and shouted about anything? No, none of you have because there's nobody up there. And it's quite a lot of work. So that seems kind of ridiculous. But the thing that a lot of us have done is when we encounter something in our lives that changes our lives and you cannot go back to the way that they were before, you tell people about it. I'm here to do one of my uh, periodic food endorsements here at Long Hill Chapel today. And over in Chatham on Main Street, uh, there is a restaurant uh, that serves Pakistani hot chicken. It's uh, like Nashville hot chicken, but it's even hotter. Like if you get the mild there, that's like white people hot. And if you go past that, you're in deep trouble unless you really uh, are ready for it. Uh, but it's the most, it's called Namkeen, and it's the most amazing thing ever. And I tripped in there because my friend David Hamilton, who may or may not be here this morning, uh, said, you ought to check this place out. I know enough about the kind of food you like. You like spicy food. You ought to go check this place out. Um, I went over there, and we we're supposed to have a lunch together there, and I think I messed up the time. It was my fault. So he wasn't there, and I just stayed, and I ate for one. And it was the most amazing thing ever. So when we rescheduled our lunch, I went back with him, and I did it again. And I told my brother, who's like right here, I said, John, you've got to go to this place. It's the most amazing thing ever. And then I recently told Pastor Andy, this past Wednesday, we did Christmas communion, and we were doing Christmas communion and celebrating and remembering the birth of Jesus, but I was also thinking about the Namkeen that I was going to have after the Christmas communion. And so I dragged Pastor Andy over there, and his life has been changed forever. So go there. If you don't like spicy food, don't go there. But if you do, it's your place, and you ought to go over there. But it's one of those things that when we find a restaurant, or we hear a band, or we go experience something, or we see something, we share it with people 
because it has changed our lives. It's changed them completely. And so we endorse things, and I, I'm famous for just like really getting into something. My next door neighbor says, Michael, you're a little bit obsessive about things. And I said, no, I'm not. And then I reflected on my life, and I realized, yes, I, I totally actually am. But there's things that we encounter that change our lives and then we go tell anybody whose ear we can grab, even for a moment. You know, so we've been looking at the story of Christmas, and one of the things I think that very often, including my own understanding of it, we do is we forget that it's actually several different stories that are intertwined together. There's especially these two stories, uh, one of Jesus and Joseph and Mary, his parents, but this other one of a character named John the Baptist and his parents, Elizabeth and Zachariah. And you know what? For many of us, our Christmas stories, the story of Christmas that we have, it feels like two stories as well. You know, it, there's the familiar theme that we have of just the great expectations that many of us have around Christmas. The thing I love about watching our children come up here and worship and play jingle bells and, and just celebrate is just the childlike view that they have of this season. It hasn't been tarnished by life yet. You know, and some of us, we have mixed feelings around Christmas, or maybe this is just a difficult time of year for you. You come to this year, and here's the songs, and everyone seems happy, and there's light and joy and food, and you're just like, you know, that's great, but I'm just not there in my heart. But some of us have these great expectations. You know, we know that Santa's on his way. He has loads of toys and goodies on his sleigh. Or the adult equivalent of that, the Lexus commercials with the bow on top of the car. That just seems like a bad marital decision that you don't talk about that thing first. I'm just saying it's not the greatest idea. But we have these expectations. But some of us, we've just gotten to the point where here we are again on December 24th, and we just don't expect much. Sometimes that's for a good reason. It's because we feel like we've been blessed and have everything that we want. But oftentimes it's because there's something that's deep down inside of us that we really want that honestly we've ever given up hope of ever seeing or getting. You know, and it may not be a president. It may not be this thing that you just hope that the person uh, who will figure it out will bring it and get it for you this year. It might be something deeper than that, something much more complicated. It's finding a better job. It's peace at home because there's no peace at home. It's a sense of purpose in a new year, at leaving a year that has felt like it didn't have that kind of purpose. You know, maybe there's been pain or disappointment or struggle or even trauma this year for you, and you're just looking ahead to 24, and you're looking back at 2023, and you're like, see ya, and you're hoping somehow that things will be different this year, trying to heal from that pain of that past season. Or maybe it's even just this thing that you feel inside that you can't even describe really well and you definitely have no idea of how to fill it. And the thing I love about the Christmas story is it's not just all candles and bells and hope and joy and peace and love. It's people. It's characters. It's the song of people who feel the same things we do. You know, today we turn to the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the other characters in the story. And just to bring us all back up to speed on that a little bit, Zechariah and Elizabeth are this devout couple. Zechariah is a priest uh, in the Jewish temple and his wife, and they have been praying for a child for their entire lives. And now they're older. 
They've never been able to have children, and it's past the point where that seems like a very likely thing. At that point in history, for a couple to be childless was seen as a sign or a symbol of God's disfavor on them. So here you have these devout people, including a priest, who are praying, who are hoping, who are wishing, who are doing all the things, and it just seems like God has shut the door. He slammed the door in their faces. And for a woman in particular, then and now, this is something that carries a deep personal level of shame. And so this couple is going through life they're praying, they're wishing, they're hoping, but the years are ticking on one by one by one. And they keep praying, and they keep wishing, and they keep hoping, but increasingly it seems like the thing that they want most, the thing that they want more than anything, is slipping through their fingers. You know, I want to speak to something very difficult for some of us today. You know, here at Long Hill, we just celebrated once again our children. And if you've been around Long Hill Chapel for any length of time, you know that we absolutely love our children. We, we just take such great delight in the fact that the aisles and the church is crawling with kids. And if that's a struggle for you, I've said many times, this will be a challenging place for you to be because it's something that we celebrate over and over again. But for a few of you, maybe all these kids around are they're just a painful reminder of what you don't have, of what you wish you did have, of what feels like it's slipping through your grasp. So for maybe 20 years, maybe longer, Zachariah and Elizabeth have been walking this road. They've experienced the full spectrum of emotions that anyone would. They watched their friends and their peers experience the joy of having children and being parents. And it seems like it's slipping away and they're mourning that loss over and over again, wondering what they've done, maybe even feeling some of the judgment from the people around them. And it just seems like God is silent. It seems like even though they're doing the right things, even though they're praying the right way, it seems like God is silent. And this isn't just a personal story of two people. It's echoed in the story of the nation around them, the nation of the people who are the Israelite people who are under the occupation of the Roman Empire, and they've been looking for a Savior. They've been looking for someone to set them free from this situation. They've been looking for this legend called Messiah. But it's been 400 years, and it seems like those prayers are going unanswered. And they were waiting. And even if they were still believing, they were beginning to wonder why it was that God was withholding from them. As I said, for Zechariah, this was especially personal because it was kind of rubbed in every day. He was a priest. He was one of those people who was supposed to go offer the prayers and participate in the sacrifices day after day, year after year. And I would imagine just like some of us, as we pray the prayers that we've prayed many times before, it's sort of like going through the motions. We haven't stopped yet, but we've given up believing that it actually makes a difference. And to rub it in even more, a priest would usually have a son who would follow them in the family lineage. 
take up their work. And so he would be reminded of the emptiness beside him every single time. You know what? Something I've discovered about my own prayers, we've talked about prayer a good bit this fall here at Long Hill. But what we do in our prayers sometimes is we give God an out, or maybe we give ourselves a little bit of an out. We pray things like, you know, God, if it be your will, and yes, we want God's will to happen, but so often I'll speak for myself that's saying, you know, God, I'm praying for this thing, but if you choose to not do it, I'm going to let myself down easy, and I'm going to let you off the hook. We're saying it to release ourselves, to release God from anything actually ever changing. So then this situation happens. This is all the backstory of Zechariah. He gets chosen as a priest to go into the holy place, which was the place that at that time represented the very presence of God to offer incense. This might have been something that was done only once or so in the life of a priest. Can you imagine the feelings that he had going to that place that represented and contained the presence of God with all of the things that he's felt, all of the hopes that he's had. You know, he's a devout man, so he's doing the right thing. I don't want to suggest for a second that he wasn't, but in the back of his mind, just like it would be in your mind and in my mind, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of feelings. Do you think this was the time that maybe he hoped it would be different? Or maybe it was just resignation or even cynicism. I don't know, but there's an awful lot going on in the mind of Zechariah at this moment. But this is where the story changes. Here this morning, the reading from the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. So he's going into the holy place, and something crazy happens. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Remember, no one's seen angels or heard prophets, or done anything for a very, 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 very long time. You know, think back to like William Shakespeare, or Ferdinand Magellan, or Leonardo da Vinci, or any of these people that we learned about in the history books, but we have no personal connection to. That's how long it's been. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, something that angels have to say a lot, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. He will bring back many people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he'll go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah, which was one of the old prophets of old that everybody knew about, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so Zechariah asks what seems like a very reasonable question. How can I be sure of this? How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. You know, that prayer that I've been praying and praying and praying and wishing and hoping, angel, God, it would have been great if you did it back then, but it seems like it's just a little bit too late. Then the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day 
this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Now, here's the thing I think we need to not miss with this story. God meets Zechariah not only in this physical place that represented his presence, but in the very place he is in his heart and in his mind. You know, we don't know exactly where that place was, but I can imagine if it were me that it's probably not a great place. Probably not a place that he or I or you would be very proud of, but it's where he was. I don't want to offer you some good news today. The good news is that even though he was in that place, the promise was still given to him. Even when he was in that place, the promise was still given to him. It's been a long time. It's been a lot that's happened. It seems unlikely, and the promise is still given to him. And I want to encourage all of you today, we have this subtle idea that our faithfulness, it does unlock at some level God's faithfulness, but God's faithfulness is so much better than ours. And so he meets us in places and in ways where we've already half given up because that's who he is. Zachariah didn't need to pull himself into a better place. He kept showing up. He kept going through the motions even when it seemed like it wasn't doing anything. And friends, I want to tell you, there's a prayer that you've been praying that you need to keep praying. There's something that God has laid on your heart that you need to stick with and not let go of. You need to keep praying that prayer. You need to keep pressing in. You don't need to even feel the things, but if you keep showing up to that thing, I think the scriptures show us something that God meets us in that place. This Christmas, he can do that with you too. You know, we have not great places where we pray, where we think God would not even want to show up to. We'd want to show up to someone who's got it more together than we do. But God has an uncanny way of meeting us in places that we've assumed that he's not. God has this uncanny way of meeting us in the places where we're like, where is God in the midst of this? And we can look in our lives, and we can look around the world, and we can look everywhere, and we can find example after example of that. And God has this way of showing up in that place. So there's this thing that happens. Zachariah says, are you sure about this? Did you get the right address? Did they give you the right script to say? And the angel says, you know, because you haven't believed me, you're going to be mute. And that just seems kind of like a jerk move. I'm just going to say that. that. That just does not seem like a great move. But I don't actually think that that's a punishment. Because we see in the previous story that we read last week, the story of Mary. Mary asks the same angel the same question. You know, and, he, and she doesn't get stricken with anything. And so Zachariah asks the same angel the same question. And I don't believe that this is God just saying, like, you know what, too bad, you're, you're not going to talk for a while, too bad on you. Here's what I believe it is. It's what you would do, too, if you've prayed that long for something that you've kind of given up on, but you still think it's the right thing to be praying about. You'd be asking, you know, am I crazy? Did I hear that right? Are you sure? Am I sure? You know, angel, don't go getting my hopes up because I've just about let them 
down. It's the kind of thing you would want to know with absolute certainty before you went home and you told your wife. It's just that kind of thing where you'd want, you know, some kind of a certificate or something in writing that says, yes, this is actually what I heard. I'm not losing my mind. You know, I didn't lose it. And sometimes when our circumstances shift so quickly, it can be hard to even try to adjust where our hearts are. I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you. I've definitely had that happen to me where something changes and I actually find myself taking a while to step into the new reality of what God is doing. And I end up praying a prayer like, God, forgive me for my cynicism. You know, friends, what God is doing here at Long Hill Chapel, I've had to pray that prayer many times because God's at work in this church. And it's on, this, it's on the faces and the names and the families and the stories of every person who comes through this door. You know, when I came back here a bunch of years ago, it was just to try to steady the ship. That's all I had in mind. But then God started doing this thing, and I started saying, God, I've been at this a long time. These are the things I've prayed for for a long time, and now they're happening, and they're not happening because of my amazing leadership or because of my amazing preaching. You guys endure that stuff all the time, but because God is faithful to do the thing that he said that he's going to do. And so when we show up to that again and again and again, even when we're like, I don't know how this works, there's something that God does. But the other thing Zechariah would have wanted as a priest, as a devout follower of God, is he would have wanted some sort of sign. Because remember, no angels, no prophets, for a very, 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 very long time. And so he would have said, we would have wanted something that just, you know, made, they, they would have allowed other people to not be like, did you like hit your head? Did you eat something that was a little past its due date? They would have wanted to make sure of that. And so this is the sign. And so the angel's like, okay, you, I know you want a sign. So here's the sign. Here's, I believe, what's going on. God is saying, it's my turn to speak. You've been hoping and praying and wishing and justifying and rationalizing and trying to square this belief that you have with this thing that you've been praying for that you haven't seen yet. Now it's your time to be quiet, and it's my turn to speak. Have you ever shushed someone? You know, they're talking, they're like, ah, yeah, but you're like, shush. God, I believe, is shushing Zachariah. He's saying, you get to be silent and watch what I'm going to do. You get to be silent and watch what I'm going to do. Take a rest from going through the, all the motions that you've gone through all these years trying to keep it together and watch what I'm going to do. So let's skip forward to the rest of the story. Luke 1, 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, because that's what you did in that culture. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father, because remember, Zechariah still can't speak, to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe 
And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about it, all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was upon him. There's another translation of that verse where everyone was filled with awe, where it says, everyone was filled with fear. Everyone was filled with fear. And I don't believe it was like, you know, the go hide in a closet kind of fear. It's not that kind of fear, but there's something that has happened, something that shifted. Good work, Dan. Good catch. If I'd never had to do that with one of my children, I wouldn't know, but I, had, I, I caught mine right here. So, so good on you. You got, you, you got her halfway up the aisle. Good stuff. That's what I said. The whole thing about kids everywhere, we love it and we celebrate it because it shows the blessing that God has given us in this church. It's full of life, and I'm so thankful for that. That's a better sermon than I'll ever preach, by the way. But everyone was filled with fear. You know, there's this thing that happens to us when our expectation of how things are going to go gets challenged. You know, we think it's just going to be like this forever, and then even if it's a good thing, it gets shaken up. And it actually causes us a little bit of fear. It causes us a little bit of anxiety. Because here's the thing, nobody expected much from God. Nobody at this point was like, yeah, God's going to do awesome stuff. Nobody expected much from God. But now that he was at work, actively, in a present way that people could see, it was calling into question their whole way of understanding God and the world. And this Christmas, friends, some of you, you don't expect much from God. You're here in some way because someone dragged you here because it's Christmas Eve and you're supposed to go check this box because you get to have ham and eggnog after you do it. We're so glad you're here, regardless of why you're here, but you just don't expect a lot out of God. It's just this religious thing that makes us feel a little better. What would happen to you if God began to challenge that in your life? Where your life has felt like 400 years of silence, but then God shows up, and he shows up in the ways and the places that we don't expect him to speak, and he does it, and it changes everything. And friends, that could be for you as well. So Zechariah's story, it's not only his story, it's representative of that nation at that time, but it's representative of our story as well. And in response to all that's happened, he sings his second Christmas song. And it's a surprising song. It's one that before we wouldn't have really expected him to sing with much heart, but now he does the thing that I did with the hot chicken restaurant in Chatham. He tells anybody who will listen, anybody whose ear he can get for any length of time, and here's how the song goes, verse 67. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's not just him feeling good things. God actually inhabits his song, which I believe he does with our songs as well. And he prophesied, he said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he's come to his people and redeemed them. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. So he's like, those people back there who said that stuff, who we kind of were just like, oh, I guess that's probably, the, maybe they meant something else. Maybe that was for a different time. They kind of went through the motions, but they didn't really embody it and live as though it was going to happen. He's like, that stuff that they talked about, it's happening now. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. 
to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, and now he's speaking personally to his son, will be called a prophet of the Most High. Remember, there hadn't been any of those for a long, 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 long time. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace, And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. And if you open your Bibles and you read this passage as it's laid out, it looks like song lyrics because it is. This was one of the songs of the early church that when they were trying to remember, they were helping themselves to remember who God was and his faithfulness before and his faithfulness now and his faithfulness in the future. They would sing these words as well. But this song reads so much like one of those old prophecies, like one of those songs of old, and it's the power of God at work. You know, have you ever been in a room where a few words were spoken that completely changed the atmosphere of the room. You know, some of you, you've waited around for a doctor to come out and deliver a good report. And it's something that culminates hope and prayer. It even addresses fear. You know, back in the old days, there were all these people who would speak on behalf of God. They would speak the reality of God into a situation where the opposite existed. There'd be justice spoken into places of oppression, a call to repentance in the midst of sin, hope in the midst of hopelessness. A few words would change the reality in the room. That's what prophecy is like, and that's what that song was like. It's as if Zechariah is saying, God's faithfulness I have experienced even when I was less than believing, is for all of us. It's not just for back there. It's for me. It's for you. It's for the moment that we live in. And now, friends, it's a little bit different because we believe that the words of Scripture were final words. We're not adding to those. But in a different way, you and I this Christmas may need to be the people who receive those world-changing words, who receive the hope that Jesus offers us, who receive what God is up to in the places that we didn't think he would even bother to be up to anymore, and then to give those words away to other people. Because the words, your story, your song, can change the atmosphere in the room for someone else. You know, you're probably looking at your life, many of us are, and they're like, it's, you know, there's people have interesting lives and interesting stories and interesting songs. Mine is not one of those. Can you trust that God gave that one to you and he gave it to you to share with other people, even if all of the things haven't worked themselves out yet? Even if it's not done being written, can you share it in the hope that God is still at work in the midst of it, just like Zachariah did. So this Christmas, where does this song find us? 
think there's a couple things as we close today that I'd like to encourage you with. First one is this. Don't give up. Don't give up. There's something, some of you, maybe many of you here, you've been struggling through, you've been experiencing, you've even been fighting against. And it seems like the prayers at this point are just kind of the right thing that you ought to be doing. Because all the fervor has left. It seems like, just like Zachariah and Elizabeth, the time is gone. It would have been a lot better back there. And now we're here, and we're going to keep doing it because we know it's the right thing to do. But we've kind of just resigned ourselves to the way things are. And you're tempted to do that. And friends, I want to encourage you to not give up to not give that thing up. You don't need to try to feel something that you're not feeling. You don't need to try to pull yourself up onto some place that you aren't. But keep showing up to the work. Keep showing up to that place where you believe God wants to work, where he could work. And keep praying those prayers. And I guess as you do this, don't do it in isolation. You know, like the story we read, there's so much opportunity for condemnation, for shame, for disillusionment, even to feel judgment. But don't do it in isolation. Men, we are terrible at this. We struggle through these things all by ourselves so often. Do not struggle with that place that you're showing up to alone. You know, the Bible tells us, it actually commands us to bear each other's burdens so that we'll fulfill the law of Christ. Keep coming to God. Keep showing up, but do it with someone's shoulder that you can lean on. And the second thing is this, so don't give up. But if this is your season of blessing, and I know because I know some of your stories, there are some of you in this room who God is just at work in this powerful way, and it seems so present and so real, and every time you show up here and every song you sing, it just seems like it's for the very first time. There's a few of you who are like that. Proclaim it. Go tell it on the mountain. Maybe not a literal mountain. But go tell that, just like those other things in your life that have changed your life so much, just like me and hot chicken. There's so much more that's changed my life than that, but that's an important one for me right now. Go with me. But there's something that's changed your life like that. Let the story of God at work be the thing that you proclaim over and over again. You know, we sing that go tell it on a mountain song, but very often we don't even go tell our neighbor what God is doing. What God is doing in your life right now is for you, but it's for more than you. And it's something that the whole world needs to hear. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for my friends who have shown up here on Christmas Eve morning as we go about our day, some of us to come back again, some of us to go on to celebrating with family and friends, some of us to face the place in our life that this holiday reminds us of, that we would rather it not. I pray first of all and most of all, God, that your presence would go with us, that we would know your presence today, even for those of us who are here and we're just like, I don't know about this thing. I know I'm supposed to go to church. This is a great story. It makes me feel a little better. 
Or for those of us who have been praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying, and we're still praying, but we've kind of just in our hearts given up a little bit. Would hope, and not just the hope of the food and the smells and the sights and the sounds and the candles and the songs make us feel a little better for a while, but the hope that comes from Jesus, the one who came as a baby, who grew up as a man, who died on a cross, and who rose again on the third day to save the world, and that includes us. Would that hope be in our hearts? And if that hope is in our hearts, would we share it with others so that the world would know? We thank you for our time together. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.